This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kays and Jeremy Fisher. This is A Voice. Hello and welcome to This is A Voice podcast, ep- oh, series three, episode one, with Jeremy Fisher. And Dr. Gillian Kays. And the topic today is imposter syndrome. Uh, I wrote an article a few weeks ago on seven strategies to deal with imposter syndrome. And Gillian, you looked up the meaning of the word imposter. What did you find? Mm, Yes, I went on to Google, and this is the Cambridge Online Dictionary. Imposter, a person who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive others. Now, what's interesting about this is that they give an example of using the word within a sentence. And here's what they say. He felt like an imposter among all those intelligent people, as if he had no right to be there. But that's weird. That's not actually the meaning of imposter. Mm-hmm. The meaning of imposter, if you like, it's the, also the difference between an active and a passive. So an active imposter is somebody who knows perfectly well that they are deceiving people. Yes. Um, let's have a look at some of the related words and phrases. Faking and pretending. Yep. Um, an idiom, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yep. Air guitar apparently appears here. Um, Faker, false, mountebank. I love a mountebank. Isn't that interesting? But I mean, it isn't in in a way. We we get that the meaning is is um, intending to deceive, but imposter syndrome is not that. It's something that's very different, and one of the reasons why you wrote the blog in the first place Mm. is because. We work with a lot of teachers nowadays, um, training teachers on professional development. And what we found is that they often, within the community setting, when we're all chatting, they talk about feeling like an imposter. It's one of the things that comes up the most in the courses for people when they come on the course in the first place and we ask them why they're there. And and, uh, imposter syndrome seems to be a really big thing Mm. in the singing community, the teaching community, the voice community in general. So um, what we thought we'd do is we'd take the article that I wrote and expand on it a bit. And in fact, we have seven imposter busters that you can do, actions that you can take. Imposter buster. Yes. Could we? We really could make a tongue twister out of that, couldn't we? Yeah. Do you know what I liked about this article? Because what I'd quite like to do is interview you about it and, and we'd kind of riff around it. Yep which is that you talk about the fundamental issue for people who have imposter syndrome mm. is that they're not able to internalise their own success. Mm. They think it's something to do with luck um, and nothing to do with their abilities. Mm. And I think that is such a great point. And it's something that we come across all the time in our trainings. Very much. That people we work with actually don't realise the things that they're good at. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that later. Well, there's there's two things. I mean, one is they don't realise the things they're good at. And the second is they don't accept the things that they're good at. It must be luck. It must be coincidence. It must be somebody else did the work. You know, it's just there's so many things in imposter, imposter syndrome that people just don't realise. So there's two sets of, of bits of information that I put in the in the blog. And I want to talk about both of them. One is the seven imposter busters that you can do. And the second set is uh, this. And um, by the way, I should I should say, imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon is a real thing. Mm-hmm. It was identified in 1978 by Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes in their paper, "The Imposter Phenomenon in High Achieving Women: Dynamics and Therapeutic Inventions." 
Um, and what they're saying is anybody can get it. Did you mean interventions? Intervention. Interventions, I did. Shall I say that again? <laughs> the imposter phenomenon in high-achieving women, dynamics and therapeutic interventions. Um, what they're saying is anyone can get it, but it's usually people who are highly responsible. So ironically, it's the people who are least likely to intentionally defraud who get imposter syndrome. In other words, if you think that you're an imposter... It's likely that you're it's not. It's absolutely certain you won't be because the real imposters never think about that. And don't care. Mm. So um, the other thing is Valerie Young, uh, based working with the information that um, uh, Clance and Imes created, uh, wrote a book called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. And she lists five different types of imposter. that, um, And it was really fascinating reading this. I thought this was very interesting and I recognise myself and you in yes, them. Yes, yes. I actually recognise bits of three of them in me. OK, cool. We, the, the, OK, reveal. We've both had imposter syndrome. Definitely. Really quite strongly. So uh, this really, it really resonated with us. So I'm going to go with the, the five types first. I really like these. Perfectionist sets extremely high expectations for themselves, and even if they meet 99% of the goals, they're going to feel like failures. Any small mistake will make them question their own competence. So accurate. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting when you set yourself such a high goal. And again, in a way, this is about responsibility because you want to do a good job. When you set yourself that higher goal, the 1% that you didn't quite hit becomes the most important thing you think about. Mm -hmm. That's the thing That's the thing you focus on. I have to say that that was one of the things that I had performance anxiety about in my years as a performing singer. Mm. The one thing I would focus on was the mistake that I'd made. Mm -hmm. And therefore the 99% of the really good stuff just didn't occur to you. And if you watch successful performers and their habits, they don't do that. Mm. It's not that they don't care about that one mistake, but they don't do that. No. Do you actually acknowledge and accept what you did well first? And funnily enough, it's one of the things that we teach our teachers, which is when you are diagnosing somebody, when you have a student who walks in the room and you're hearing them for the first time, so often we go to, that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong and that's that's wrong and I need to sort out that because that just doesn't work. And and you don't go, what's working? What's actually already working? What are, what are they already doing that's good? Mm, validate what's working. Yeah. Okay, now let's talk about the expert syndrome. <laughs> the expert feels the need to know every piece of information before they start a project and constantly look for new certifications or trainings to improve their skills. They won't apply for a job if they don't meet all the criteria in the posting and they might be hesitant to ask a question in class or speak up in a meeting at work because they're afraid of looking stupid if they don't already know the answer. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I recognise bits of myself in that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am Mrs. Overprepare. Yeah. I do feel the need to get all the information there before um, I want to go on air, for instance. Um, I've highlighted all, um, all sorts of bits in this lovely article, actually. And it's very much before I, I write, I want to gather everything. And then sometimes I'll kind of keep it to myself, which drives the other half mad, I'll by say, the way, yeah. uh, because I want to have that sort of control over it. On the other hand, I'm not afraid to ask questions or speak up at meetings. I'm going to go right back to being 17. I was doing A-levels at 17. 
And I was doing, we had a thing which was to do um, A-level Spanish from zero to A-level in two years. So you did O-level in one year and then A-level in the second year. And um, this expert thing really applied to me because uh, they'd go around the room and we'd all be speaking in Spanish. And I would count the sentences and work out which sentence was going to be mine when we came round. And then I'd do it flawlessly and I would have absolutely no idea what anything else was doing. And of course... I mean, I did actually manage to pass the A-level, uh, but I got an E, which was a real surprise because everybody, because I was so good in the classroom, everybody was expecting me to get an A. But it was because I just was not really that interested in the process. I felt I had to get everything right. Not a good look. That's fascinating. Okay, so I have... Oh, I- and also, also, there's another bit, which is um, being afraid to ask a question in class in order that... Because you believe that you should always look as if you know everything and therefore you don't have to ask the question. I actually did a live about this yesterday, didn't I, on Facebook and Instagram. It was, don't be in the dark, there are no silly questions. Because that's something that also comes back on feedback from our courses that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, there are no silly questions. But actually, when you open your mouth on course, you get a little bit of a glare or or, or you, you feel that you're put down. Yep. Or that you're shut down. Yep. And actually, by asking questions, that's how we learn, isn't it? Well, it's not a, It's not only how we learn, but actually as the teacher, when somebody asks a question of the teacher, it's how the teacher understands where you are and where you're coming from and mm-hmm. can actually help more actively. And it, we do say at the very beginning of every course, there are no stupid questions, but there really aren't. And anybody who asks a question shows us what it is that they want to know. And I, I mean, it's brilliant. I know this is slightly off at a tangent, but one of the things that we've found working by Zoom, so working online with our trainings, mm-hmm. is that people feel that little degree of safety in using the comment box to ask their questions. Yeah. As somehow it just buffers them a little bit. And it's really interesting what comes up because nearly always when someone asks a question and they might even preface it with, Uh, is this a stupid question or I feel a bit silly asking this, Mm. they will not be the only person. In the room uh, wanting to ask the question, absolutely. So therefore everybody learns from your questions. Absolutely. All right, now I'm going on to natural genius because, Jeremy, I have identified you as the natural genius syndrome. Yes. Go on, tell us about it. Absolutely right. Okay, I'm going to say what I wrote. When the natural genius has to struggle or work hard to accomplish something, he or she thinks this means they aren't good enough. They're used to skills coming easily, and when they have to put in effort, their brain tells them that's proof they're an imposter. Yeah, okay. I come under the natural genius category because I'm very, very good at concepts. If you give me the concept, I can then understand it, break it down, break it apart, show it back to you, teach you all about it. I'm very good on on understanding the reason behind something. And the difficulty for me is because that is so easy for me. When I don't understand something, it's like, it's, it's more than stubbing my toe. It's like I've run into a brick wall and I can't cope. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Gillian has many, many, many examples of that. <laughs> All right. Now, let's have a look at the soloist, because I've actually written down me here, which might surprise you. It doesn't surprise me at all. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> right. The soloist feels they have to accomplish tasks on their own. And if they need to ask for help, they think that means they're a failure or a fraud. Mm, actually, that's true. I've already fessed up to that, haven't you I? You have. Yeah. And it was very interesting yeah. because because we've written so much together. I mean, we, we work together. We're married. 
and we write a lot together. And the whole process of writing, we've been writing together now for almost 20 years. Mm. No, it is 20 years. Mm. Mm. Um, Because we co-wrote successful singing auditions. Yeah, it'll be uh, 20 years next year. 2001. We're actually writing it in twenty. In, no, you're in right. 2001. We were. We were. Um, and it was published in 2002. So, yeah, we when we write together, it's taken a very long time. It's taken actually 20 years, genuinely, to get Gillianne to release the grip on the manuscript or whatever part of it she's writing, because she will not let me see it until it's completely finished. It's got to be perfect before he looks at it. Correct. And I have to process all my thoughts. When we wrote... Um, actually, I think it was a great learning exercise for us to do the collaborative process with the Singing Express series, yeah. uh, particularly with Anna Sanderson. And then when we wrote This Is A Voice, I think that was a really good uh, collaborative writing project between us, wasn't it? It was one of those. Say yes. It was, absolutely mm-hmm. it was, yeah. And it was one of those, This Is A Voice in particular, normally to write a book that complex would take you well over a year. And I think we had five months from start to finish. And it was a huge book to write and with so many different topics, some of which had never been put together before. And so we split up some of the the work and then we co-wrote the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And because we were on such a horribly tight deadline, there was no opportunity to go, "Um, I'm just going to write this and and let me finish it. Leave it, leave it with me for a month. And then I'll, I'll, I'll sort of let you see it. There was no opportunity for that. It was a great exercise. And actually it meant that each of us could draft something. Then we'd get together, we'd look at it, we'd fine tune it and off we'd go. And can I say, we will never do a deadline like that again. Thank you. Don't ask. Very proud of the book, though. Oh, yeah. Okay, number five. The superhuman. Supermen or superwomen? Yep. Supermen or superwomen push themselves to work harder than those around them to prove they're not imposters. They feel the need to succeed in all aspects of life, at work, as parents, as partners, and may feel stressed when they are not accomplishing something. Mm, I wonder if I'm a bit that. I don't think so. I have flashes of it occasionally. There was one job that I did Um uh, and I was working 18 hours a day, genuinely working 18 hours a day, learning 800 different pieces um, and just doing absolutely, going absolutely full out with everything I'd got. Mm. And people still didn't like me at the end of it. And that was a real lesson, which is like, it does not matter how hard you work. If somebody doesn't like you, working harder is not going to make them like you. That was really fascinating. Mm. Big game changer for me. Mm. Mm. Well, look, let's... So, hang on, I, want, I want to ask people, um, you can comment on it. Actually, if you have any questions about these things, please do uh, send us a recorded message. Actually, if you go to speakpipe.com slash vocal process, you can record a message for us. Comments and insights. We'd love to hear them. Oh, yes. If you recognise yourself in any of those five... Do let us know. Well, so now we've told you about imposter syndrome and we, we've um, flagged some different types. Yeah. What are we going to do about it? Okay, um, imposter buster. Okay. Number one. Imposter buster number one. Deal with the loneliness. So an important aspect is to tackle the loneliness. You feel mm. alone because everyone around you seems so much more successful or knowledgeable or calm. 
The antidote to this is a feeling of belonging, of seeing other people like you and that you are not alone. Mm, mm. And this is something, again, that singing teachers talk about. I mean, partly because of the way that we tend to teach. You know, we tend to teach one-to-one in a room. We're on our own. Or one-to-group. I mean, that's that's the very traditional way of doing it. And I think as well, possibly our, um, let's say, our uh, college system, our sort of uh, higher education system, has traditionally not been geared towards collaborative teaching. That's beginning to change now. People are looking at it and finding that collaborative teaching really raises the level for everybody. I mean, you were collaborative teaching before I even met you, mm, 25 years ago. I love doing joint workshops yeah, with people. Yeah. yeah. And isn't that interesting, given that I also have this soloist aspect? Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's a very strong part of you. And, of course, I'm a collaborative pianist by training and inclination, so I always perform with other people. Maybe I naturally found out quite early on that by working with other people, it sort of ameliorated the imposter syndrome and the anxiety that comes from it. Do you know what? I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I think mm. it's, it's really important to find a group of people that you can be yourself with or to find a group that you can join that encourages you, supports you, uh, validates you, actually. So that you can experience that vulnerability and and kind of get through it. I think it's important. You're not alone. No. Um, I just want to say one thing, um, and this is a new thing for us this year. Uh, we've always liked creating communities, but mm. when we started the accreditation programme for our um, teachers this year... We set up a new online community called Circle, circle. Mm. Mm. Um Cannot recommend it highly enough. It's, it's like Facebook, but it isn't owned by Facebook. And therefore, none of your material is owned by Facebook either. It's, uh, for people who know these platforms, it's a little bit like an interface between Facebook and Slack. So that you can have, you know, very clearly defined, um, they're called spaces, aren't they? Mm. Clearly defined threads. So you can have conversations within those threads. Um, but you, you know, you can also respond to things on an intuitive level. Oh, yeah. You can upload videos, audio files. Everything. You can message people. It's, it's really cool. And uh, they're loving it, aren't they? They're oh, absolutely yeah. loving it's it. It's worked far better than we expected it to. And actually the circle community is really strong. It's um, been a real contribution to this idea of blended learning. Yeah. Okay, so okay. so that's um, buster number one, yes. which is find your tribe. Find your actually, tribe. Actually. Now, what about dealing with... <clears throat> okay, imposter buster number two. Okay, cool. Imposter buster number two, working with criticism. This is a really tricky one for anybody with imposter syndrome, because if you hear any type of criticism at all, you assume that it's a personal attack on you. Mm. And this is learning to value constructive criticism. And I'm going to separate constructive and destructive out. And by the way, talk about wolf in sheep's clothing. Some people give you destructive criticism, but they say it in such a nice tone of voice or with such lovely wording that you really feel devastated by it. But you're going, but they're being so kind. No, they're not. They're actually being destructive. So here's an interesting one. That's gaslighting. Yes, it is. Mm. Um, so we're talking about constructive criticism. We are. Here. And constructive criticism is some somebody who basically gives you a piece of advice that will help you grow, not cut you down. 
And there is, I think, a mistaken belief that if you if you want to help somebody, you have to you have to cut them down in order to bring them down to earth, and then they can build up again. That's not constructive. Well, that's, first of all, it's not constructive criticism anyway. But the second thing is, if you're dealing with somebody with imposter syndrome, it is absolutely the worst thing you can do to tell them they're really bad at something because you will simply underline everything that they already believe, and they'll be completely stuck. Mm. So bless you for that, but please don't do it. Um, this is... It's, it's about recognising the value of it, isn't it? That if, if somebody gives you um, feedback or points out a, an area where you could improve, mm. I think what you've got to do is maybe recognise that initial emotional response, which might be a freeze, mm. or, or you might be angry, uh, or you might want to cry, and to recognise that and then stop and go... What is useful about what I've just been told? This is where the curiosity comes in again, isn't it? Be curious about what they've told you. Mm. How could it help you? I'd actually go further and go, is there any value in what I've just been told? Mm. Or is it just entirely destructive? I think what can happen, I mean, speaking for myself, that if you do suffer sometimes from imposter syndrome, what happens is because you're so self-critical anyway, when someone else criticises, it kind of builds into that. So you really need to, I mean, you've written here in the blog that I like, feel the emotions that it creates, but also recognise them as maybe being unnecessarily extreme in terms of a response. Yep. Can I just talk about that unnecessarily extreme thing? Mm. Um, guilty. What happens is that you can go completely apoplectic, completely volcano on something that somebody has said. And what you come to realise is that although the emotion is there, it's way out of proportion to what's just happened. And if you like, that's the first trigger to look for, which is, is the emotion that I'm feeling out of proportion to what's just happened? Oh, you know what? This is, I mean, I can't think of a concrete example and it's probably better not to quote one, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we respond differently to emails. So yes. Jeremy might come to me and maybe we've had a rude email from someone and uh, he'll read it and his tone of voice and his demeanour <laughs> says that this is a terrible email. Yeah. And, you know, that I can then get involved in this email. And what I've found over and over again is that if I then go and read it for myself, I have a different response. I can then go to email uh, to Jeremy, and we sort of uh, we we decharge, we, de we remove the charge yeah. from it, yeah. and you do that for me. Yes, and I think that is very helpful if you then move on to get guidance. And this is imposter buster number three. Yes. Get guidance. So it's actually tied in very much with the whole criticism thing and mm. also the, the filter that you need to be able to put into place to work out whether it's destructive or constructive. Find a mentor. Find a mentor to talk to. We have had a life coach. I've had a life coach for... Since you were 40. Don't mm, say anymore. Yeah. Nearly it was your 40th birthday present. Nearly 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's brilliant because he acts like a safety valve for me. So I can discuss things with him. There's no particular judgment. We find out what the trigger, if you like, is. And triggers are fascinating because if you have a trigger, it's your own trigger. Mm -hmm. And your own trigger normally comes from a pattern from childhood. A lot of patterns are set between zero and seven, it's, occasionally zero and nine. Yeah, usually some kind of a, a trauma, you know, that was... 
unintentionally inflicted, but mm. that you registered as trauma. I mean, we are not psychologists mm -hmm. or psychotherapists, uh, but I think most people listening would be aware of that. Mm. And I think it's really interesting because the, it's the trigger that's causing that extreme emotion and not the situation currently. I mean, one of the things that you can do is actually describe to yourself the situation that you, what you are doing right at that moment, factually. Mm. So I am standing here, I am reading an email, that's all I'm doing. I'm not being threatened by a saber-toothed tiger. Now, we've both been mentored by this person. We um, work with him separately. And we also... Can I say, we tried to work with him together yeah. and he was completely flummoxed by it because we're such different energies. Mm, energies are very different, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we also have our associate trainer, Anne Leatherland, yeah. of Vocal Intuition. And she has trained as a personal life coach and yes. mentor. And it's great having her around because if someone on course has a wobble, yes. and they do, we can say, okay, cool. Why don't you go and have a chat with Anne? You know, check out what's really going on there. And yeah. she's very, very good. So I think we should move on to Imposter Buster number four, mm. which is validate your feelings. Can I just say something about this? Because, you know, you have a negative experience and maybe it's at a conference or you're on some kind of a course or it's it's a performance and you sort of know that you have a bit of anxiety and imposter syndrome. And what you do then is you beat yourself up because you're having those feelings. I shouldn't have these feelings. I have a doctorate in voice research. Mm. Why am I having these feelings? That does not help you to deal with it. Mm. And it's a really interesting one because you can say, I am angry. But if you say, I feel angry, then there's a different part of you that's outside of that emotion feeling the anger. Mm. And that's validating that you are feeling angry. It's not necessarily validating the situation. It's validating your emotion. Something that I've been looking at, because I've been reading quite a lot about ways of dealing with anxiety. And um, one of the things that's really changed the way I, I look at something that makes me anxious is curiosity. Mm. And I love this idea of going, hmm, What's going on with me right now? Mm. Hmm. I think I'm feeling anxious. Mm. And I will literally now say that aloud to myself as a trigger to then sit down and feel the feeling of the anxiety rather than trying to intellectualise it. Why am I having it? I shouldn't be having it. I got a doctorate in voice research. I'm this, I'm that. I'm 65. I am 65. Um, I should know better by now. All of those things, all of that self-talk that we go through. Yeah. Sit with the feeling. And what very typically happens is that it will lessen. I have a very slightly different version of the same thing. I will go, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? And the in, inbuilt in the why is, is this an appropriate level of emotion for what's just happened? And actually, over the years, that's really helped me because it's almost dialing down something. Because the moment I get curious about it, I go, oh, this is a, this is, it's a thing. It's not me. And I'm not actually literally being attacked. It's a thing. And if it's a thing, I can sort of gently remove myself from it and then examine it. Mm. Mm. Um, and this is, I, I read a, quite a nice sentence here. If your feelings don't support you, move you in a positive direction or work for you, you don't need them anymore. Thank them kindly and move on. Mm. 
And that's much easier to write than it is to say. It is. I think that's why you need the time to be curious. Oh, I'm having anxiety. I'm feeling worried. I'm, I'm feeling imposter syndrome here. Hmm. Sit with it. Because if you don't sit with it, it won't bugger off. And I'm gonna, My experience. <laughs> I'm going to say what you mean. I'm going to go back to uh, Imposter Buster number four, which is get guidance. And mm. this, for me, is where your mentor comes in. And by the way, I did want to say something about the mentor, and I think this is important. The mentor should not, as far as I'm concerned, be part of your peer group, because it's quite likely, if you're going to discuss strong emotions or strong situations, that your peer group people will be going through similar stuff. If your mentor is either more experienced or older than you, it's likely that they've already gone through the stuff and have dealt with it so that they can actually sit back and be removed from it, but still help you deal with it. That's sort of to do with boundaries, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. It's why it's absolutely fine if you want emotional support to go to your peers, but if you actually want advice, it's probably not a good idea because they may be going through the same things. I can see that there's a, a real link between valuing constructive criticism getting guidance in case it's not constructive mm. um, and then validating your feelings. Those three seem to be quite interlinked, don't they? They do. Okay. Now, here's a really positive thing that particularly uh, those of us who work in um, teaching singing or voice that we can do. Imposter buster number five, teach someone else. Take something that you do, talk it through to someone else. Talk to somebody about it. Teach them how to do it. When you hear yourself describing what it is that you do or what you want them to do, you might be surprised how much you really know. And I'm actually going to add to this one because I think it's not just about teach someone else. I think it's about teach several other someone else's. Because the more you do it, the more you explain it in a different way to different people because they're going to receive your information differently the clearer you get on some of these ideas and some of these concepts and some of the techniques that you might do. Yeah, I just want to say something about our buddying system that we have on the accreditation. So each trimester, which is obviously a three-month period, uh, the participants on the course work with a buddy. So they have the same buddy for that three months. And there are certain tasks they have to do. They have to get together and meet and support each other. And of course, what they do is they share their skills with each other. And they it's kind of almost like speaking out loud what you already know. Mm. And then they report back on that. And as it happens, we use the circle community for it. And oh my God, the wisdom that's coming out of those budding sessions, even in our first trimester, it's just wonderful. And it's completely raising the the game on the course, I think. Of course, also, when you're doing that and you're you're actually discussing things in a... We're doing it in a contained situation and we usually give them specific topics to do, Mm. but they're free to, to discuss whatever they like. What seems to be happening is that they're actually validating each other. Mm. Because they go, oh, yeah, I do that. Or, oh, that's really interesting. I've never thought of that. And so you get both self and other validation within Mm. that buddy system. It's Mm. so good, working really well. And that leads us really nicely on to imposter buster number six, discover your foal area. Now, the foal area, F-O-A-L, is your falling off a log stuff. 
It's the stuff that you do without even thinking about it. It's the stuff that you don't rate. Um, when people go, oh, that's amazing. You go, what? What's amazing? I don't understand. It, doesn't everybody do that? And the answer is no, they don't. That stuff that you do is so ingrained in you, it's so automatic, it's so natural that you actually don't rate it. And other people go, but that's magic. And this is really interesting. It's one of the things that's been happening with the buddy system that we've got set up mm. is that people are recognising in their buddy amazing skills that the buddy just goes, but doesn't. But don't you do that? And the answer is no, I don't. That's it, a real skill. It actually happened after that online masterclass that we gave in Choice for Voice. Yes. That somebody said to us afterwards how much they'd enjoyed it, which was great. Thank you for that. Um, but how do you, how is it that you know exactly what to do? Well, first of all, there's a, a long degree of experience there. Mm. And so it is very much in our full area. Yeah. But essentially, that's that's why, because it's in our full area. Yeah. But people don't get to their full area uh, without either learning something or having loads and loads of experience, do they? I don't know. I mean, some people have... Oh, well, you're a genius. Well, this is... the Yeah, I'm Mm. in the genius category. Okay. Um, Some people have a natural aptitude for something, and it can be anything at all. I believe that everybody has a full process, at least one. Mm. Um, And it doesn't have to be, um, I'm a brilliant singer, or I compose music, or whatever it is. It can be as simple as, I can listen to a car engine and go, there's something wrong there, and I think it's here. Or um, somebody who sews beautifully, or somebody who is great at childcare. I mean, like completely loves teenagers. To me, that's a complete falling off a log area. If you love teenagers, you're welcome to them. That sort of thing. So there's there's lots of different skills that fall into the fall area. I've I may have shared this before, but Jeremy is a magician with keys. Oh, unlocking doors and stuff. Yeah. Well, I I will fight with the key if I can't, you know, the key doesn't work the first time, you know, I'm struggling, I'm pushing it, I'm driving it. And Jeremy will come along and go, I'll just wiggle this a little bit. Yeah, I tune into the keyhole. Maybe we're a burglar in an earlier life. I don't know. But and he just seems to do that. There's a whole part of my life that you know nothing about. Absolutely. Um, I want to say something again about working with teachers. I have found consistently that teachers do not recognise the skills that they have, the skills that they bring with them when they first come to a course. Mm. For instance, someone who has the ability to nail a style Mm -hmm. and they have that musicianship that they, they seem to be able to own it and make it authentic and teach in different styles. They understand the musical phrasing. Or, you know, somebody who is uh, able to really hear different resonances in the voice. Mm. And for them, that's very, very obvious. Or someone who recognises the physicality uh, of that singer and is able to do something with it. Mm. And often the teacher doesn't realise how good they are at that. Yep. I want to read a little bit of what I wrote in the article. If you're working or living in your full area you will be able to bring a deep, almost instinctive knowledge to the topic that from outside can look like magic. But from inside, because we're so used to it, it carries no special label or feeling and we tend to dismiss it. Trust me, when you're in your full area, it is magic. I think that's true. And thinking about career patterns, 
If you can recognise your foal area mm. and build with it, then you're going to attract the people who want to work with you. Oh, yes. But, I mean, the whole portfolio career thing is really fascinating. I didn't realise I'd had a portfolio career until somebody told me what the term was. And I went, well, that's been the last 30 years of my life. And it's about finding something that you enjoy doing or that you like doing or that you're good at or that, frankly, that people will employ you for because they can see that it's a foul area even if you can't um, and just doing it and then um, finding something else. And I was looking for the thread that runs through my career and really the thread is making things work which is a slightly weird thread to do but in performance it's like I need to make this performance work I need to make this music work when I'm working with other people I found out what they're doing I need to map my stuff onto theirs and then somehow we can just twist it to make it more them or more me or whatever or um, I need to do, actually, a very good example was the app that we did, uh, the One Minute Voice warm-up. I can't draw, but I knew what I wanted, and I knew that I had to have little cartoons, and I've always loved black and white line drawings. Not that I've ever done them, but I like them. And so I just found a program online, and I went, I know that what I want, I can't explain to other people on how to draw it. So I sat and learnt to draw. And so all the cartoons in the One Minute Voice Warm-Up app are me drawing on Google Draw, I think it was. It's just line drawings. Mm, mm. Worked really well. Yeah. Not something I thought I was ever going to do. I'm just thinking about something that it took me a while to recognise, which is, it's just to do with the way I think, you know, I enjoy structured thought. So I really like to see how things fit into different categories. Mm -hmm. And then it's my pleasure to see how those categories um, interlink. I like to see the connectedness between them. And I think that's one of the reasons, first of all, I think it's one of the reasons why I'm a very good voice trainer. Mm -hmm. I also think it's one of the reasons why I'm good as a trainer of trainers, because I can then explain that mm. to other teachers. Yep. That's my thing. Yeah. Okay. This is the last imposter buster number seven. Imposter buster number seven. How good is good? Decide how good is good enough. And in a way, we're going to the um, the perfectionist thing. This really tackles the perfectionist thing. But it's been a really fascinating journey for me. You want 100%. You want to give 100%. You always want to give 100% because you want to be effective. You want to have an effect on the world. You want mm. to help your students. You know, you want to support people. That's sort of your life goal, if you like. You want to be 100%. You want to be top of the class. You want to be best in the business. That is terrifyingly tiring day in, day out. Congratulations if you've got the stamina. How much could you change that percentage? Would 98% be good enough? And I think it is an absolutely fascinating question because, boy, have I been there. And I, th I, have, a, I have a sentence uh, that I give to myself, which is really, really useful, which is today, 95% is good enough. I think this is um, an aspect of imposter syndrome that celebrities might suffer yeah. from. You know, you yeah. suddenly become very, very famous yeah. or even a top level performer and everybody then expects you to be, what is it? You always say you're only as good as your last performance. Absolutely. 
And that's okay. Today, 95% is good enough. Mm. And all I'm really doing there is dialing down the expectation for myself. It's also sort of dealing with the perfectionist bit where you go, it's okay. And actually, there was another phrase that I didn't write in the article, but I do use it, which is, I can be crap for 10 minutes. That saved my sanity about 15 years ago. I can be crap for 10 minutes because actually it doesn't matter. Mm. What's so interesting, if I've got an hour, if I'm doing a presentation or a masterclass or a lesson or whatever, I can be crap for the first half of it or the first quarter of it or the first tenth of it or the first four minutes of it. And it doesn't matter because I know that giving myself permission to be crap for that short amount of time means that I can sort of ease myself in and then I'll be great. It's something that we do if we're doing a a public presentation. Yes. And we get nervous. I'll say, remember, we can be crap for 10 minutes. Yes. And actually, usually it's only about five. Yeah, we're still crap. But because you have that permission, (laughs) speak for yourself. Um, And there's one other phrase that I put in the article, which is best I can do today. And that's really important because the best I can do today is I'm giving whatever I've got today. And if that means I'm really on form, I'm, you know, got loads of energy, I'm really comfortable with where I am, what I'm doing, that's great. I can give that. That's the best I can do today. If I've had a really bad day, I've had no sleep, um, there's a chainsaw going on next door, you know, it's just horrible. I've had some vile emails or whatever it is. Um, it's still the best I can do today. And I think that's really interesting. It's like whatever energy I have, I'm going to do this. And that's the best I can do today. I will know more tomorrow. I might even do it better tomorrow. But today is the best I can do today. So we would love to know what your experience is of any of these seven points. And if you feel like sharing that or asking questions about it, please go ahead now, there's a couple of things I want to I just mention. Want to, I want to read something out to you because this came up yesterday in, from one of our trainees. And I just want to read a single sentence out. She said, we've just done a really powerful training on breathing, uh, breath, pressure, breath and pressure flow. Pressure and flow. Pressure and flow. And it was very powerful, quite complicated. But, you know, we did our best to break down all of the concepts of breathing and flow in singing. And she said, I found I was overwhelmed by years and years and lots of notebooks of other people's ideas. And I don't really know how to zone in on my own. And that's a very powerful thing for somebody to say, which is and actually quite normal as well. Because as a singing teacher, you have, you're like magpies, you pick up anything that is lovely and shiny, and Mm. you put them together in your nest. And that's really what you base your teaching on. And what's so marvellous is that the next thing that happened was that this person did zone in on their own instinct. Well, in fact, she went straight to three of the uh, seven imposter busters straight away, which is the first thing is she reached out to deal with the loneliness. She actually said, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, this is horrible. Mm, mm. But she put it in a in a, a safe space, in a safe post uh, to the community that she was part of. So that's the first thing, which is congratulations for reaching out. Brilliant. Mm. The second thing is she got guidance. Mm. Um, and in fact, she got guidance from us. And she also got guidance from her peers as well. There's been lots of comments on that thing saying, yes, I completely mm. feel mm-hmm. where you are. Um, so we were getting guidance on how to deal with that and what to do with it. 
Um, and the third is that she validated her feelings. You know, congratulations for that, because that in itself is very powerful. Mm, mm. Rather than sitting on them. Yes. <clears throat> Frog moment. <clears throat> okay. Um, we would like to flag a couple of things, wouldn't we? We, do, we would, yes. First of all, um, can I do a little shout out for our colleague, Dr. Marissa Lee Naismith? Hi, Marissa. She uh, does a lovely podcast called A Voice and Beyond, and she's put together uh, snippets from uh, all of her podcasts, I think, this year, under the title Embracing Self-Care. Yep. And I think it's a very important topic at the moment, and obviously dealing with your own imposter syndrome is part of Embracing Self-Care. Do check it out. It was released this week, so that's A Voice and Beyond and there are lots of lovely people sharing, including us, what their self-care routines are and how, how they look after themselves. Yep. Okay. Um, I mentioned earlier that I'd done a live on Facebook and Instagram. Don't be in the dark. No silly questions. Uh, the joke is, if you look at this, I was in the dark. I have no camera sense uh, because it was such a sunny day and uh, you will barely see me. But hey, it was good enough. I think that what I had to say was still heard and is important. But check that out because of the, the idea of feeling you can ask questions on a course. I think it's important. And congratulations from me for doing Best I Can Do Today. Absolutely. I, I left it as it was. And then uh, I want to talk about some of our courses. Actually, some of these are quite a long way off. But um, I, what I want to say is we have a very nurturing approach in the way that we work with teachers. And we think that collegiality is incredibly important. And yes. that's what we foster in our trainings. Yes. So if you want to do a training course that will take you into that community feel, you should look at our online singing teacher training courses. Yes. Now, we have just done a week one. So you've missed week one until 2022. Well, when's the date for the next week one? Uh, online singing teacher training week one, January the 15th to 19th. And it's two hours a day in yeah. the mornings. And the idea of the all of our online singing teacher training courses, that we have three weeks of them, is that we do two hours, normally between 10 and 12 UK time, uh, and then in the afternoon, you are free to do whatever it is that you do in your life. And what people will often do is take a technique that they've learned that morning and try it out immediately with their students. And then we get feedback the following day, which is brilliant. Now, we've got a week two coming up in October, haven't we? Now, you can join week two if you did OSTT1 already previously, or if you qualify for it from uh, how, uh, other courses that you've done with us. Check that out. Go onto the website. And if you're not sure, just email us. So the first run of OSTT2 is October 23rd to 27th. Um, so if you're eligible for that, please join us. And the second one is February 12th to 16th, 2022. Yep. Um, what we often find is that people who do OSTT1 want to go straight on to OSTT2 yep. because then they're within that community. As it happens, there is an OSTT3, isn't there? Online Singing Teacher Training 3. But excuse me, OSTT3 is by invitation only. It is, yes. OSTT3 is actually, um, you have to have done weeks one and two uh, to even be invited on OSTT3. But uh, three 
is the stepping stone to the accreditation program, and that's also by invitation only. Mm. So we don't allow anybody on an accreditation program that we've not worked with quite extensively. And who we don't think will benefit from it. Yeah. There would be no point in having people on the course that we don't think would manage it. Right. Now, ha- with I'm us... going to do those dates again okay. because that's quite complicated. So we've already done week one. We did that a couple of weeks ago. The next week two is October 23rd to 27th. If you want to do weeks one and two together, it's January the 15th to 19th, 2022, and February the 12th to 16th, 2022. Okay, so we have waved this tidbit in front of you. And some of you are going, yeah, but that's ages away. I don't want to wait that long. So what we suggest, if you'd like to see how we work, how we handle questions, how we work with our community before then, get yourself into the Learning Lounge. And the two things I would recommend for that would be to watch two uh, videos of five-hour courses, live courses in person with people in the room. Yeah. So these were recorded before the pandemic. Uh, one is best practice update and the other is mastering musical theatre. Now, what's cool about these, if you're immediately thinking, oh, my God, five hours of video. It's not like that. It's all chunked up, isn't chunked it, Chunked up Jeremy? into five-minute sections. Uh, any, as between, uh, I think it's three and 20 minutes. I think the longest section is 20 minutes. And we left it at 20 minutes because that was a masterclass section. But everything is not just chunked up, but it's also labelled with what's in it. So if you want to jump straight into, what are the style features that you use in the song from Waitress? Um, I didn't plan it. Uh, you can go straight to that section. Mm. Um, to find the Vocal Process Learning Lounge, you can type into Google Vocal Process Learning Lounge and the link will come up. Uh, I'm going to read this link out because it's quite long, but we will put it in the show notes. vocal-process-hub.teachable.com slash p slash the hyphen vocal hyphen technique hyphen learning hyphen lounge that's why we're putting in the show notes so that you can click straight away i love the way you did that so rhythmically and we'll also put uh, marissa's a voice and beyond yes uh podcast in in the show notes embracing self-care and remember if you've got any questions uh, it's speakpipe.com slash vocal process there are no silly questions yeah we love your questions absolutely we get some goodies we'll create a whole podcast around them yeah Okay, we are done. Hopefully you're feeling a bit better about imposter syndrome. So we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher.